Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Thanks so much for uh, listening to us here on this Thursday. I'm Doug Branson, back in the Gittimer.com studios here in the heart of the Queen City, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, my friend, David Walker. What's up, Doug? We are one week away from the draft. Uh, And just in time, I'm feeling better. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, producer Katie, not feeling so great. She Mm. got it from me. So if you're listening, feel better. Enjoy the day off of work. And uh, hopefully you are listening because it's uh, hopefully everyone's listening because we are a week away from the draft. And uh, David, I thought we'd start by just taking a step back and sort of recapping because I, I think there are, are going to be today and then Monday and Tuesday a lot of people joining us for the first time. You know, they've been wrapped up in NBA playoffs or their summer vacations, and now they're just getting back into the groove, wanting to know what's going on with this Hornets draft. So I thought we'd take a step back and talk about where we've been on this on this journey. It started really with the consensus coalescing around Zach Collins from Gonzaga, the big man right. who can who can uh, play both ends of the floor. But you and I speculated that the reasons behind that were less about his fit and more about what he represented and what people thought the Charlotte Hornets would draft. And kind of how he fell in the mock, right? I mean, I think a lot of those early ones were just based on, um, you know, the, like the big board, like ranking and not necessarily taking in need or 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 any workouts, of course, at that point, were not taking into account. So, yeah, I mean, people thought it was the big white guy, uh, the stretch guy, you know, that had played in, in college and done some good things in the NCAA tournament. But, uh, and, and I mean, Doug, who knows? Like, it, it still could go down like that, right? Um, well, absolutely. And the thing about Zach Collins is he's been all over the, he's one of the guys that's been all over the board. And one of the players, I think like Zach Collins, Lowry marketing, marketing and Frank Nielakina, those are your three wild cards that could go in the top 10 and send somebody down to the Hornets or could drop below and be available for the Hornets. But that also means that somebody the Hornets may be targeting ends up going in the top 10 instead. So those are your three players. And then uh, Luke Kennard uh, gets uh, Rich Cho uh, attending his NBA Pro Day, and that causes some of the mocks to look at Luke Kennard. And it kind of makes sense, right, David? Because the Hornets, one of the things they need is scoring off the bench, bench shooting, especially from that wing position, because they have it really... Uh, from their big and Frank Kaminsky. So they needed shooting out of the wing position. So yeah. Luke Kennard kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah, for sure. They need shooting. Uh, and he's he might be the best shooter in the draft. I mean, there's only a handful of guys you can point out and say that that's what they're definitely going to bring to the table. Um, so, yeah, that makes sense, too. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's just we don't – we, you know, how many years have we 
gone into this draft process and exactly what anyone thought was going to happen went down for the Hornets. There's always some screwball. There's always something that we don't expect. But I think more so this year, just with the the possibilities. But also, I think I think you have to feel good, Doug. I mean, all these guys we're talking about. Uh, they have things they can, they can bring to the table. Now you may not like every part of their game and you may think so there's some other guys out there that may give you a higher upside, but like even all of these guys, the consensus is that at the very least they could be, they could be role players at the next level. So, and that's part of, of that's part prospects. of drafting at number eleven too. So if if fans are just joining us for the first time in this in this draft experience, David, what should they expect from a player drafted at eleven, given the context of this draft and and the depth of this draft? I mean, for me, the way I look at drafts now is is that's it. At the very least, you want a role player and somebody's going to be in your rotation. I mean, honestly, because these guys coming out of college now, Doug. Uh, one year, uh, two years, sometimes maybe three years, but a lot of our guys for the most part are all going to be one and two year guys. No one knows. No one can say for sure exactly what kind of player they're going to be at the next level. And so, yeah, everyone wants to draft a star. I don't think there's any, you know, LeBron, Carmelo type players in this draft. Um, I don't even know if there's like a Ben Simmons. I mean, we still don't even know what he's going to be. Right. So it's like, there's so much guesswork and there's so much luck that goes into this, but I think you've got to be looking to add somebody who can at least be a rotation player for you at 11. It would be nice to get a starter, but honestly, it's just too hard to predict. And scouts that I've heard talk about Zach Collins and Donovan Mitchell have talked about the fact that they could project to be high level role players, but I haven't heard anyone saying that Zach Collins is going to be a guaranteed star or Donovan Mitchell uh, nicknamed the spider because of his long uh, wingspan. Oh like yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's his Twitter handle as well. Spider D Mitchell. Um, but I haven't heard anyone say that those guys are going to be guaranteed stars. So I think if you are a Hornets fan and you're saying, what can I expect from this 11 pick? I think the, the most that you could expect is a high level role player a possible six man. The the right. least you could expect is, you know, an eighth, ninth guy off the bench, a role player. And the most you could hope for is that, you know, the Hornets do strike it rich and end up with a kind of Damian Lillard type pick in the right. in the teens or, that ends up being uh, a relative McCollum. star or McCollum as well. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, the, yeah, this draft has been a little all over the place. I think the top five are pretty much cemented. But beyond that, a lot of question marks. The Sacramento Kings, a very weird organization, has two picks at five and ten right before the Hornets. So the, just if you're joining us for the first time, I'm just going to say expect the unexpected. And that goes for the Hornets as well because, you know, the last couple of drafts, they've traded out of a draft. They've um, uh, they selected Frank Kaminsky, who they did not work out. They selected Noah Vonley before that, who they did not work out. So with the Hornets, it's always best to just buckle in. And if you expect them to do one thing, just prepare yourself for them to do another one. So I think that's a pretty good recap for people joining us for the first time. What do you think, David? Yeah, exactly. And, and another guy we've mentioned some, we've, we've profiled as a guy that might slide. Dennis Smith Jr. Um, will have a pro day today. I believe in the Hornets will be in attendance. To be there. Yes. I've so. heard I've heard this news that he may slide. I think Rick Bennell mentioned something about talking to some people uh, within the NBA that think that he may slide, but I don't buy it. That's the other thing. We haven't even mentioned this once since we started our draft coverage, David. The sort of um what would you call it? A a warning 
that don't believe anything you hear, don't believe anything you read. There are so many motivations behind a lot of these stories that are written uh, to get guys to move up, fall down, get get teams to select certain players. A lot of motivations going on here. So uh, it's it's best just to sort of go with your gut. Look at the look at the mock drafts because the guys that are doing these mock drafts, the the credible ones, the Draft Express, your Chad Fords, they are talking to everyone. And again, they're mm-hmm. getting influenced. But when they have so many people that they're talking to, they can sort of co- come to a conclusion about where a guy pretty much sits. So just yeah. trust your gut and and know that there's probably a margin of error of three to five positions on most every player outside of that top five and just go with the flow. Uh, David, we did a mock draft for the we Locked On Network. Did. And we, did. Uh, we did something unexpected, which was trade back from the 11th position all the way to the 23rd position, the official trade with the Toronto Raptors or the Locked On Raptors podcast, I should say, was um, we gave up the 11th pick and Jeremy Lamb for Corey Joseph, Lucas Nogueira, and the 23rd pick. I was waiting, I was hoping, honestly, for some hate because that's what would make it realistic. I like this is how I like to play 2K, David. Online, I try to I try to play it slow, you know, be patient on offense, and, and I just try to play it really realistic. And I often lose because I don't understand how to play video game basketball. And, and maybe that's the thing here. Maybe I don't understand how to mock draft. I just try to do something a little bit realistic. And I was waiting for some tweets. I was waiting for some pa- Facebook posts that really railed us for this. But I realized I was looking in the wrong place. All of the hate was sitting on the Charlotte Hornets Reddit all along. And I, I why didn't I? Up. That should have been the first place I looked. <laughs> I love the guy. I love the Reddit. There's such passionate fans over there. But they are they are very quick to to disagree they they embrace debate well you're dealing with and you're dealing with drafts too doug i mean everyone wants to, so to have an impact draft pick and i, I can relate to that you know no, I'm okay i, I don't that. necessarily actually i would say this i don't advocate for them trading out of that 11th slot on draft night because because now i am in the donovan mitchell camp with both feet but but i get it and and i think we also saw the limited avenues they had to improve the team this year that's one of the big reasons that, that we tried to make the trade. I was also kind of curious to see who would be available that deep in the draft. And and it's a deep draft. I mean, I was kind of surprised that guys that we had profiled were still getting picked, you know, basically all the way till the very end. Oh yeah. I should say we ended up picking John Collins 23rd mm-hmm. and he's projected by most to go in the kind of mid teens area, 14 through 16. Yeah. So the fact that he fell to 23rd was something that surprised us, but let's go to these Reddit comments. Bubowski says, Corey Joseph is a fine backup, but we can get someone just as good with our MLE. David, we mm-hmm. decided to go with Corey Joseph because uh, they offered us Jonas Valanciunas, but we didn't think we needed to add another plotting center. We waited on another offer, Corey Joseph, a, a fine backup, as he said, and that's really what the Hornets were missing last season. Oh, my God. It's one of the it was one of the biggest holes for them last season, Doug. It's something that they had to be targeting. I'm sure they're still targeting going into the season. And we had looked at some of the candidates that they might be able to use that mid-level exception on, you know, prior to this and, and kind of before the season ended. I mean, to be honest, I just, I'm just going to tell you, it, it's not a stellar group. Once you get past like the top 10 who are really starters and, and half of those are probably not going anywhere. I mean, it starts off with Curry, Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, 
you know, we'll see what happens with those guys. Yeah, gone, gone, gone. Derek Rose <laughs> will probably sign for more than the MLE. Jeff Teague, certainly. Drew right. Holiday, George Hill. Rondo. You get down to Sean Livingston, and that's where it gets that's where, interesting. That's where it gets kind of interesting. And we but, should say but, that but the, again, mid, the mid-level exception is about $8.5 million and maximum of four years. So that's what you're working with here, eight, eight, eight and a half million uh, for, right. for four years. Right. And so you got to ask yourself, are you going to be able to, and you're going to be competing with other teams for this, for this guy. Right. Uh, so when you go into this scenario, like Sean Livingston, you're likely going to be bidding against golden state. Now they may not be able to offer him quite as much with their salary situation and he may have to leave outright. Um, but that's what you're going to be going up against. I mean, I will say one guy that caught my eye <laughs> that would come with a few warning flags is, is Ty Lawson because he made $1.3 million last year and had a decent year in Sacramento. Certainly probably wants to get out of there, but I probably think that's what you're dealing with. Probably wouldn't need to use with. the full MLE. Right. And, right. and they have the option of doing a short-term deal. They don't necessarily have to do that. But yeah, I know I totally agree. I, I disagree with Bubowski here. I, I don't think that the options are necessarily there for that MLE, good options at the point guard position, which is why we decided to pull the trigger and thought that then the Hornets would be able to use that MLE on a, on a wing position because that's a lot deeper this free agency period. Yeah, exactly. A lot of interesting names there at shooting guard and, and small forward. Um, Doug, and I'm going to bring these up one more time here. Um, even, but even guys like like Joe Ingles um, and, yeah. Bo, and um, Bogdanovich, um, somebody that they've coveted for a long exactly. time. Exactly. I mean, Otto Porter's probably going to get more than that, but he only made he made under six million last year. One was um, one of the Rudy, league leading three point shooters last season. Yep. Yep. PJ Tucker, who was an impact, uh, you know, trade piece, uh, that Toronto acquired. And they really and, and need one, a, a legitimate backup three this season. Mm-hmm. And PJ Tucker would fit that role wonderfully. And again, acquiring a backup point guard via trade would open up the pot. Cause that's the thing that you have to understand too. If you're just joining us that the Hornets options, this off season are going to be very limited. They have the, because yep. they are already over the cap, they will have the mid-level exception and the biannual exception, which ends up being around a little like two, the $3.3 million for up to two years, I believe. So those are your, those are really your only two pieces other than the trade market to find what they need, the which is right. a backup point guard, a legitimate backup three scoring off the wing and a uh, legitimate backup center who can rim protect. And if you can get some athleticism and some explosiveness as well, I mean that's something they're going to be targeting too. So, yeah, I mean that was the, that was a lot of the reasoning behind it. I think with uh, with you and I, we because originally Corey Joseph was off the table, and I guess we should discuss the Jeremy Lamb portion of this trade too. Okay, right, perfect. Yeah. So JNA one on Reddit says, "Shoot, no one in that scenario is worth anything close to Jeremy Lamb." So this is what a criticism we've heard a lot about this deal or really any deal that involves Jeremy Lamb is that there is a lot of love for what Jeremy Lamb contributes to this team in terms of his ability to be explosive, both scoring and rebounding. He put up that 18 rebound performance against New York. And those are the kind of things that stick in fans' minds, David. So why did we end up going with Lamb to deal over Marco Bellinelli in this deal? 
Well, for me, if you send out Marco, you're losing that shooting, you know, the ad. And I don't think they could afford to lose any, any more of the shooting. I think there's uh, – it's an interesting view that Lamb gets from a lot of fans. I mean, I've heard people say he's the second-best player on the team. That's a real thing that I saw uh, emailed to me at one point. And that's not true. <laughs> that's nowhere near true. I mean, Lamb has a lot of potential, but that's just it. We haven't seen the consistency. That's the main thing that coaches and players are looking for in, in the NBA. That's the hardest thing to get is consistency on a night-in, night-out basis. It's something the Hornets as a group struggled with last year, but it's something Jeremy Lamb struggled with you know, since he came into the league. And we hear it every year, how he's going to dedicate his body and his mind and work out better. Um, and we like, look, we, we like Lamb, but I just think, I, I don't know if Rich Cho would make that extension deal again, uh, knowing what he, he knows right now, you know, back in the day when they first acquired Lamb, but it's a pretty good deal. So maybe he would. Um, but I just think that, you know, there's a bit of an overinflated value amongst some fans on Lamb and just what he brings to the table. Well, I don't think anyone would question that two seasons ago, he really struggled and he ended up in, in. Coach Clifford's doghouse because he could not maintain his body through that 80 game season. There was a lot of talk about him having to go into the off season and really sort of improve his uh, eating habits and his sleep habits and just get his body ready for the uh, the 82 game season. So would you would you say that's fair? There was no question that two seasons ago he really struggled. Yeah. Okay. And, so and let's it felt like yeah. So let, well, let's look at let's look at that last season. 66 games in 2015-16, averaged 8.8 points and 3.8 boards, shot uh, about 31% from beyond the arc and 45% overall. Okay, now take it to this season, played 62 games, did start five in place of uh, Nick Batum, 9.7 points, so that's that's a a little under a point difference, Uh, 4.3 rebounds, a little tick above that, effective field goal percentage about the same, his three-point percentage went down to 28%, and his minutes played were the same, so, I mean, the, the improvement, maybe he was uh, slightly more consistent across the board and played late into the season, but the improvement didn't necessarily come. And then you have to mention, too, that we were thinking about Lamb from that perspective, but also from the perspective of he has $7 million guaranteed in the next season, whereas Marco Bellinelli becomes an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, and so you're able true. to clear, we were, we were able to clear a little bit more cap for the team, which is going to need every penny, not just in this off season, they're ca- they're capped up pretty much next season too. Yeah. Um, and I certainly think that, you know, lamb can re- rebound and have, have some good nights, but like, I just think last year he played a lot more because Clifford did not have a lot of other choices. I mean, if Courtney Lee's on that roster, I don't think he's getting the same. There was no legitimate Jeremy three. Lance. Right. Right. Exactly. So, um, you know, when, when Cho and these guys talk about um, improvement from within, it's certainly not just Jeremy Lamb. It's going to have to come from a lot of places, but mm-hmm. I mean, he's definitely one of the key guys. Okay, uh, final bit of criticism here from Reddit. Bubowski again saying, it's a bad trade, which doesn't do anything for us in the future and is simply a, quote, quick fix. And I read that and I mm-hmm. went, yeah. <laughs> like, not, that, not the bad trade part, but I thought, yeah, it is a, it is a quick fix. And I think, honestly, we we said, we sort of prefaced it. I don't know if Bubowski or JNA happened to listen to the episode, but we did preface everything with saying, we're operating from the perspective of a franchise that uh, has basically stated, hey, we want to win now. 
We want to get back to the playoffs. The goal is to win a playoff series. And I felt like our deal um, provided them that opportunity next season and, and also did that in a way that did not hamper their abilities in the next few seasons. Yeah. And when people say win now, this is like a win now move. I think sure that is true to an extent, but I think at least what Cho and, and Clifford and MJ have been trying to do up to this point is build a, a solid team that improves a little bit each year. Now last year they obviously had a backslide, but yeah, that includes winning. Now that includes getting into the playoffs. That includes, you know, getting up to that top four seed. Uh, that was a goal that Michael Jordan set out to do with his team a few years ago. I mean, it doesn't mean that they're going to be challenging the Cavs. Uh, it doesn't mean they're going to be making a deep run to the NBA Finals. But but I think they believe that's the way to build a team and a franchise through consistent additions, through building a core, you know, through strengthening the culture, as well as having an interesting, good product on the floor. So, I mean, I think win now, oddly enough, brings a lot of negative connotations in today's NBA because there's um, the belief that either you're at the top or at the, at the bottom, right? And if you're in the middle, it's purgatory and it's a disaster. I mean, I just I don't believe that for every team because if you're the Charlotte Hornets, I'm not I'm not in on uh, on trusting a process at this point. I mean, ask Philly how how well how well that's working out. You know, sure you get some exciting players. And look, they, they may eventually one day um, flip the switch and, and it'll be all good. But, you know, I, I, I personally don't want to sit through three or four seasons of 20, 30 wins uh, anymore. We've done that. And they've gone down the road of tanking and they've gone down the road of trying to get the number one draft pick and it didn't work out. So uh, I'm, I'm more on board with building through consistent winning, through being in the play, through being a consistent playoff team. And, and part of the issue that the Hornets are in right now is that they that. have, you know, if you take a single contract and you look at it just on, on on its basis, you go, yeah, it's a good contract. But they've piled up six or seven of those, and that's what has them in cap trouble. And I think, I wonder, yeah. I want, I don't know, but I wonder if their thought was, look, we get all of these really good contracts on their own. We put this really solid team together. We put a starting lineup that can win. And I think they did that. And... You know, we get to the playoffs and and guys start to really show off and they improve. Then those will be tradable pieces in the future, and we can pivot this franchise in the direction that we want to. You know, two or three years down the line, when those contracts start to come up and and become expiring deals, because those players will be they will be better, they will be more attractive, and, and they can be good trade pieces. And last season was a step in the wrong direction in, in, in that respect, because now the problem is this season, they've got a lot of pieces yeah. that, yes, they're good contracts, but they're not necessarily attractive trade pieces. So I think this, this team has to, this team really has to get back and, into a winning direction in order, in order to pivot because they're stuck with all of these contracts at this point. Yeah. Yeah. They painted themselves into a corner last year. It was a step in the wrong direction, as you said. I mean, and that's just criticism, the, the way they've stockpiled, especially like the Plumley contract and a lot of these other ones. Look, there's just not a the lot of The improvement has to come from within. Right so that's when you're talking about trading in the draft. Along. Yeah, people want to – people well, want to see, see the Hornets trade how is that – Yeah, I, I in, just, in this Reddit, there were suggestions of pairing the 11 pick right. with, with Miles Plumley, and that would open up – all of these deals, th- that's th- that's what I don't know if people oh! really understand. Like, it's not it's not just ESPN trade machine. Like, someone has to want Miles Plumley and his contract. 
And and Miles Plumley to this point has not and his done contract. <laughs> uh, you know because of the injury has not right has not been able <laughs> to show that. Uh, someone that anything worth taking on that fifteen million dollars per year. Okay, so we did get one piece of love on Twitter from Panthers for Life fifty who tweets this is a great idea. We we get uh, picks and we get to rebuild so the team can move forward and and I assume he means rebuilding that bench. So thank you Panthers for Life 50 for that little bit of love. And we knew, we knew we were going to get No. You don't have to but you don't This have was to a love broccoli. This, I mean, this was a broccoli trade. On this this on was this not way. a cake. Like said, this was not I, a cake I, trade. This was not a baklava trade. Sure. This was not a candy trade. I was thinking of the candy. And um this was a broccoli trade. So we expected broccoli responses, and we appreciate it. Let's talk about some Donovan Mitchell love. Consensus is beginning to form around Donovan Mitchell to the Hornets after his workout in Charlotte. Draft Express now has him mocked to Charlotte at 11. They joined Chad Ford over at ESPN, who has him at 11 as well in his latest mock draft. Donovan Mitchell also officially got his invite to the green room on June 22nd, and uh, he posted on Twitter, very excited about that. We asked you yesterday, to send in the reasons that you love Donovan Mitchell, why we wanted to know why is is Hornets Twitter, Hornets social media, Hornets fans, why are they coalescing around Donovan Mitchell at 11? Scott writes in, his athleticism is certainly a big reason, but my biggest reason is simply grit and defensive grit at that. He clearly takes great pride in just being a stout defender and doing so with a grit that I think the team has historically lacked. So, oh, and he says, one more for David, because we did, we played Would You Rather yesterday. So here's one more for David. Donovan Mitchell, would you rather have Donovan Mitchell at 11 or courtside seats at all-star festivities in Charlotte in 2019? Oh, man. Are you doing it for the future? Are you doing, are you living in the present, David? That's the question. Present, future. I mean, this is going to be surprising, especially since I turned down those those Air Jordans yesterday. I might have to, I might have to take the take All-Star it, ticks. do it. That's fine. Yeah. I, I'm with you. You got to live in the moment. We are not guaranteed tomorrow, folks. You got to live right. in the moment. So yeah, take those seats. Take the present. I love it. Uh, Patrick writes in. I love his uh, hashtag long ass arms. Uh, quoting Mango Mathiang, his um, a teammate at Louisville, who said that about him at Hornets workout. His athleticism, his personality, what he can do on the defensive end of the floor, his ability to create his own shot and create for others. So Patrick, he's running the gamut. He likes everything about Donovan Mitchell, and and you hear that from fans across the board. They just love everything that Donovan Mitchell, because he he goes on, look, he, he did the right thing, man. He went on local radio, talked about how he's a UNC fan. His dad played baseball for UNC Charlotte. And he grew up a UNC fan, and he talked up that, and he talked about how he loves to play defense, and he knows the Hornets play defense. And, I mean, he's just doing all the right things. Doug, let me add a little bit onto my gushing from yesterday. Uh, you know, he was asked, and you you talked about wanting two-way players. I mean, this guy was ACC all-defense, I believe. He played in the toughest conference in America. So he was a defensive guy. He wants to play defense. And as we said yesterday, Patino also asked him to be the guy on offense, like to be the guy that was taking 20 shots a game. I just think there's a mindset that goes with that. One, that Patino knew he could accept that. And and two, that Mitchell himself took that on and didn't shy away from it once. You know, he knew he knows he knew that's what was asked. I think that's a big piece of it because look at, you know, some of the guys we talked about, Collins, like, a lot of talent didn't even start, you know, wasn't asked, certainly wasn't asked to be the guy. 
Um, and I think that that has to go a long way when you're evaluating Donovan Mitchell. He, he wants to be a, a big guy, and I don't think he's shying away from many shots. I mean, he's gone through the rigors of being the focal point of, a, of an offensive team at a high level in college. So once you get to the NBA, you know, you can see that translating and seeing him kind of want some of those shots. So our draft coverage will continue all into next week. We're going to talk to Chris Kroger from WFNZ. We're going to talk to Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Observer, get their takes on what the Hornets should do on June 22nd. And then look out Wednesday. That's when our pre-draft special uh, should be an hour long because we're really going to dig in to each of these prospects that could be mocked to the Hornets, talk about exactly what they uh, could do what they should do, what their options are, what their needs are. We're really going to go in depth on Wednesday. So look out for that. And then Thursday, you want to join us on uh, YouTube, youtube.com forward slash locked on Hornets for our live draft special. We'll have uh, times on Monday. So look out Monday. We're going to solidify what time that's coming on. But go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash locked on Hornets. We're going to try to get it up on Facebook as well. But just follow us on Twitter at locked on Hornets for all of the details. And uh, so we hope even if you're joining us for the first time or if you've been with us through this entire draft coverage, you want to stick with us next week because we're going to have the best draft coverage uh, for the Charlotte Hornets anywhere. We'll end the show with a little bit of free agency talk. Why not? Mike, a longtime listener, uh, tweeted us and asks, would Rudy Gay be an option for the mid-level exception? Always thought he would work well with Nick and Kemba, and you could move MKG to the second unit. David, what do you think about Rudy Gay with the mid-level exception? I'd love to see Rudy Gay here. I was kind of advocating for them to try and trade for him at one point when he was in uh, Sacramento. The problem is... I believe he turned down about 14 million uh, in yeah. Sacramento just to get the F out of there and which I understand. Um, and so you're going to have to one convince him to take, you know, a little over half. And then um, for a team that looks not necessarily going to be competing for a championship anytime soon. And I think there'll be some other teams out there, you know, Tass Mellis uh, on the starters this week mentioned the Cavs um, as a possible landing spot for him. Now, now they would have to clear some money too or convince him of something as well. But I think that's going to be an easier sell when you've got LeBron and you've got the finals appearances backing you up. So I just think, um, yeah, I mean, it would, if they can make it work, I just think it's going to be tough to ask him to take that 8.4 when he's clearly probably looking for more money. And I mean, the years might line up, but <coughs> I just think the, the dollars are going to be the big factor there. It, well, first of all, let's talk about Rudy Gay. So he has this reputation as an ISO kind of ball stopper, but he reclaimed some of that reputation for being a low efficiency scorer in Sacramento. And that's maybe why, David, you were excited about him. Um, he, he got his efficiency up, really played well within Sacramento's system, which got up and down the floor, played in transition a lot and helped his efficiency numbers. Uh, but he's coming off uh, last season's Achilles injury that limited him to 30 games. And as you said, he turned down $14 million and would have to take eight plus for the mid-level exception uh, for the Charlotte Hornets. What is working in the Hornets' favor, though, as you said, the Cavs, the Warriors, the Celtics, who are going after Gordon Hayward and Blake Griffin, they would all have to find some money. So it's not as right. if there are contenders out there that will necessarily have a lot of space, but there are a lot of non-contenders because of the the cap is going up. 
there are a lot of non-contenders that will have space. So the Hornets would be competing with those sort of middling like Atlanta Hawks and Washington Wizards and Portland Trailblazers and those kind of franchises. So you would you would have to sell him on taking less money and sell him. And, and the other thing is, too, you would you would think that teams would sign him to the shorter term of the MLE, not sign him for the full four years, because there are those long term concerns about his career. I mean, he's already played a ton of seasons and he's coming off an Achilles injury. But if Rudy Gay signs a short term, he's going to want a lot of touches. So he will have to go into that starting lineup. And that could fundamentally change the way this offense works. Because the reason MKG works offensively in, in the limited way that he does is because he's good at moving and driving the ball. And that's what they love to do. They love to work off the pick and roll. They love to drive and make things happen. They're not necessarily a drive and kick offense, but they love to penetrate and then make things happen with secondary cutters. And this is not something Rudy Gay traditionally has been okay with, but he is a good spot up shooter. So you could Shot set maker. him, in, yeah. You could set him in the corner and turn it into a driving kick offense. It would just, I think, it would fundamentally change the way this offense works. That could be a good thing. That could be a bad thing. So that's my yeah. take on it. But good eye, keep your eyes open for the for the uh, the possibilities like that. He's just not. He's not the reclamation project that they've that they've normally gone after. It's it's been kind of under the radar guys like Len and Hibbert right. that they've yep. tried yep. to target less than like Rudy Gay, who will have some attention, some eyeballs on him. But but so did Len to a, to an extent. I mean, he had the Mavericks, I think, and the Mavericks offered him more money, and he decided to come to Charlotte. So there is a little bit of precedent, but I think it's a long shot, Mike, and I think that it would be a little bit risky to insert him into the starting lineup and certainly change things. But again, good eye. Thanks for submitting that question. Thanks to everyone who submitted uh, feedback. Although I have to get to this one thing, one final thing. (laughs) This is funny. I just saw this on Twitter this morning. Uh, Raising River on Twitter uh, responded to our, we retweeted the Donovan Mitchell tweet when uh, he received the green room invitation and Raising River responded and said, I hope it ends with you wearing a Hornets cap, hashtag Buzz City. And then literally moments after that, Raising River said, responded to our question on Twitter, would you rather have Donovan Mitchell or trade up for Dennis Smith Jr.? And Raising River said, Dennis Smith Jr. Well, know your audience. There, there, yeah, there you go. Uh, so everyone's conflicted, and that's that's what draft time is all about. That's all the time we have for this edition of Locked On Hornets. But before we go, we have something very special. It's Steve Bob Forrest from AtTheHive.com with his very detailed, very intense breakdown of Dennis Smith Jr. You're going to want to take a listen to this. Thanks so much for joining us this week on Locked On Hornets. We're going to be back next week with much more coverage of the NBA draft, the 2017 NBA draft. Very important for the Charlotte Hornets. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets, go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. Scouting report, pretty good ball player. I got him projected to be a point guard based on that's what he plays already. This guy's a freaking jump master. Explosion wearing a jetpack. A stick of dynamite wearing a fedora. Dwayne Johnson meets uh, The Rock. Dude's like a Lamborghini on rollerblades. If he was an Elton John song, definitely Rocket Man. Or I'm Still Standing, which is a really good song. I'm tired of people saying it's not. 
become the first uh, non-German dentist. I used to work with a dude named German Dennis, actually. He got arrested, he had like some not good stuff on his computer, so. Uh, Dennis Rodman. Some people say he was like a pretty freaky dude or whatever, but I don't care. Hang on. He did what? Dude, Janice Smith Jr. is so good, he'll make you forget that you were really bummed and not get invited to this Kingston era. 